Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning. I wonder if you've uh, uh, ever been included in something where you weren't really essential or needed. And I mean it in a, in a positive way, not like when you get invited to a, a meeting where you don't really need to be there, it's actually a waste of your time. Uh, I mean something positive, so sort of I have a memory from my childhood. Uh, we, we always had cars that would break down regularly and one of the vehicles was an old Land Rover. Um, maybe that's redundant, if you say Land Rover and breaking down, you, you don't have to say, you don't have to repeat that. But. Uh, uh, my dad would work on it, and I remember as a, you know, a youngster, uh, sort of six, seven, eight, uh, him uh, asking me, you know, to come and help him on it. And you know, it was an honour and a privilege because I know he didn't really need me. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, well, actually, it's the CV joint. Uh, I, I'm not going to contribute anything, but it's it was a, it was just wonderful that my dad had included me, and or maybe it's your mom including you in in making a meal or baking a cake or something or maybe you're you know some guys playing soccer and they're much better and older than you and they just call you to come play anyway it's a wonderful feeling and I think what we're going to find in this is the privilege of being part of God's plan and that God does not need us uh, you, you may have heard some preachers say God needs you you will not find that in the Bible, and I can guarantee you God does not need you or me at all. God is absolutely complete in himself, absolutely perfect in every way, infinite in every way. Uh, he does not need us at all. He does not need oxygen or food or anything, uh, but he has chosen in his grace to include us. And so I think we're going to see something of that in our passage today. So we're back in First Chronicles. If it's your first time at the church, uh, we, are, we are so grateful that you're here. We praise the Lord that you're here. We did start a series last year in First Chronicles. And so we're in chapter 17 today. So you can turn there, First Chronicles chapter 17. Just to give you a brief, brief background, because Chronicles isn't, First and Second Chronicles is not really a series that many people preach on. In fact, um, you know, when I do sermon prep, I like to listen to a few of my favorite preachers uh, on a certain text, and I don't find any of them have done First Chronicles. So if it's bad, it's my fault. Uh, um, it's all my fault. So uh, it's, not, it's not often preached on or taught on because when you start reading it, you start to think, wait a minute, I'm sure I've heard this before in Kings and Samuel. And so it seems very repetitive. Uh, but what we've seen is that Chronicles is actually very different and very important, as all of Scripture is. 
uh, it is much more positive than those other accounts. So it will cover the same history, but it is much more positive because the context is different. So uh, in the Old Testament, God calls Abraham and creates a new nation for himself, the nation of Israel, and he says, you are my people. I'm going to bless the world and bless all nations through you. And he gives Israel their own specific laws and commandments, how they are to function. They're not just ceremonial laws or sacrifices, but also civil laws, how they are to operate as a government. And uh, they're to be different to others. But the Lord warns them if they don't obey him, there will be consequences. There will be judgment, and he will raise up other nations to invade them and sometimes even to take them into exile. And this happens first to the northern kingdom in 722 BC and then the southern kingdom, which is the most important part because that's where Jerusalem is situated. Uh, they're invaded by the Babylonians in 586 BC and uh, they go out into captivity. There's several ex uh, deportations. Uh, think of people like Daniel. Daniel is he's taken in one of the first deportations. Uh, a lot is going on at that time. But after a period of time, uh, sort of 70 years later, they're able to go back under King Cyrus. They're able to go back to their land, back to Israel. The temple had been destroyed. Uh, God sends prophets to encourage them to rebuild the temple. But the temple is nothing like the, the, the temple of Solomon, which was so glorious. This is just... In fact, people that were still alive that saw the Temple of Solomon, when they see this new temple, they're crying. Okay? Uh, they're so sad because they remember the glory of Solomon's temple. And so it's a very discouraging time. They're surrounded by enemies. They're still not truly independent. Uh, they're a vassal state. Uh, and so it seems as though God's plans are failing. God had made all these extravagant promises, all these glorious promises to Israel. Now, where are they? And so the chronicler uh, writes and goes back over history to, re to remind them who they are. And we, our first sermon on the series was on the, on, the, on the genealogies to really give them their roots. Who are they? They are the people of God. They are still loved by God. And to restore confidence in the Davidic line the line of David as king, and that there will come a great king. Now, of course, uh, if, unless you're new to Christianity, hopefully you know that great king is Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the one who fulfills all those promises. And uh, today we're going to look at the Davidic covenant, where God makes a covenant with David and says, I'll preserve your line forever. And uh, that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let's read chapter 17, the first uh, 15 uh, verses, and then we'll, we'll go through it. So from verse 1 it says, Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. 
In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. So jump back to verse 1. The chronicler says, Now when David lived in his house, so David has built a house of cedar, we are told. Uh, cedar is a, a beautiful wood that came from Lebanon. Lebanon, just further, uh, further north of Israel, was famous for these cedar trees, uh, incredibly beautiful, and was a sign of wealth and power and prestige. Uh, David had built a house for himself in Jerusalem, so if you remember from last year, we, we had seen how David had conquered the city of Jabus. Uh, it was, had not yet been taken, but David took it, and it became the city of David. It became the capital of Israel. Uh, David now then builds his own home, a beautiful home. And he says to Nathan, the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So again, just a little bit of background. Uh, the ark of the covenant was this box, not very, not very big, maybe sort of a meter, uh, by half a meter and half a meter wide. And it was also made of beautiful wood, but it was covered in gold. And it was a box you could open, and inside were the Ten Commandments and some manna and Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, and then when you closed the box, on top there were these carvings of angels with their wings touching. And the top of the box was called the Mercy Seat. And the idea was that it represented the throne of God, that it represented in a physical way the presence of God. And there was a special way to carry it, and we saw that. We saw how we are to come to God, how we are to do these things. But David had brought the ark back to Jerusalem, and it was in a tent. And so David, you can see his heart here. He's feeling a bit bad. He's, he's got a fancy house, and 
you know, he looks out from his, you know, fifth-story window, uh, <laughs> and there he sees this tent, and the Ark of the Covenant is in this tent, and so he says, you know, I want to, I want to build a house for the Lord. It sounds like a, a good thing to do. You can say, well, that's, that's, that's honorable. I want to do something for God. Isn't that what we want to do? I want to do something for God. And Nathan even says, that's great. Do all that is in your heart. God is with you. Even Nathan is, is uh, wrong here. Because Nathan goes to sleep that night. And look at verse 3. And uh, the Lord comes to him. It says, I want you to go and tell my servant David these things. Thus says the Lord. So this is what the Lord says. I want you to tell him directly what I am saying. It is not you who will build me a house to dwell in. Quite startling. Uh, David, you're not going to build me a house. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. And, go, and the, the Ark of the Covenant had been in all different places in Shiloh and Gibeon, uh, even went into the, the country of the Philistines. And the Lord says to him, in all the places where I moved with all Israel, did I ever ask and say, look, you need to make me a house of cedar? And the, the answer is no. God never said to any of the judges or to any of the Israelites or to, or to Saul, never said, you need to build me a house. I never said they must build me a house. So that must have been quite a shock to David, I would imagine. Uh, he's probably just trying to, he's sincere, wanting to do the right thing. And then the Lord says, you will not build a house for me. And the whole, as I studied this passage this week, uh, it's really a wonderful display of the gospel. The way God's kingdom works, the way the gospel works. And this is what you see here. God does not need us. God did not need a house. It's a very important theme. Uh, Stephen in the New Testament in the book of Acts, he goes on this long sermon, this long speech that's really just a history lesson. He just recounts the history of Israel and then he says this to the Jewish leaders. Acts 7 verse 48, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? See, the Lord doesn't need a house. Uh, it was common in the ancient world, in the ancient Near Eastern world, to build temples to your deity. Uh, that's what people did because their gods were parochial, they, were, they had their own God for their little area, and that's, that's how it worked. That's how all the nations functioned. But the true and living God does not inhabit a, a physical place. So while we say, you know, this is a church, uh, we don't say this is holy ground. We don't say this is somehow, you know, the temple of God. Uh, we, we believe now that God's people are present in a sense, now it is holy ground because God is present with us in a special way. He has promised to be with us as we gather. Uh, the scriptures are very clear that Jesus Christ is with us. Isn't that amazing? Uh, the book of Revelation says that. He's with his, his people. 
the, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus sings praises to the Father with us. And so it's, it's holy in that sense now, not the building, but us. This gathering is holy because we are God's people. God is not limited to time and space. He's not limited to a physical location. And so he says to David, you're not going to build a building for me. I don't need you. I don't need a place to stay. I don't need those things. In fact, the Lord Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 20, verse 28. He says this, even as the Son of Man, that's himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we often talk about serving the Lord, and it is right to serve the Lord, but we must get the order right. And that's what God is doing here with David. So ultimately a temple will be built, but it's by Solomon, and that temple is a shadow, a type, that points us to Jesus Christ. And we'll look at that in more detail over the coming weeks. But God has to show that the initiative comes from him. David, it is not you. I don't need you to have pity on me. I don't need you to look down at the ark and have pity on me and say, shame, I'll build a house for God. I will do something for you. So now let's look at what the Lord says, verse 7. Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. It's a very interesting phrase that the, or t title that the Lord begins with. Uh, the Lord of hosts or Lord Sabaoth. Uh, it means the Lord of the armies of heaven. It's a military term. There are many titles that God uses to refer to himself. But it's noteworthy that in this situation he uses this one. It's a, a title of power. I am the commander of the angelic armies. I am the one who is in charge. God is emphasizing his power and his majesty. He is in control. And he says to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I want you to notice, maybe you noticed it as we read through the first time, the number of times God says, I. Okay. Uh, God is going to say all the things that he has done. Again, reiterating that he is in absolute control of everything. I have done this. David, I am the one who took you from the pasture. Remember that David was a shepherd boy. The Lord says, I was the one who took you. And I made you prince, or some of your translations may say ruler. That's the idea. Ruler over Israel. God is emphasizing that he is in absolute control. Verse 8, and I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. So again, I am the one who has given you victory. And David was, was a mighty man of valor, wasn't he? He was victorious in battle. He killed Goliath. Uh, he defeated. Then he says this, and I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And so here the Lord promises to bless David and says, David, I will make your name great. Okay. I will make your name great. And this is a reminder from uh, the book of Genesis. The same words are used here. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the account of the Tower of Babel. So remember, after the flood, 
Uh, there's Noah and his children, and then they have children, and that's where all the nations come from. But they, they were supposed to go out, be fruitful, and multiply, take dominion of the earth, spread out, fill the earth with image bearers. But they disobey. You remember they all stay together. They huddle together. And then in Genesis 11 it says, this is what they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Okay, you see the, what's going on there? They say, let us basically reach up to the heavens. Uh, let us make a temple. Let us reach up to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. And all religion is fundamentally that. Okay? It is about making yourself great. Okay? Uh, even if it means you go around in poverty, uh, you, you look very poor, you look very holy, it's all about self. Even false Christianity is about self. You want to make a name for yourself. You want to be known as spiritual. Uh, it is selfish. It is not about God. Chapter 12, we are introduced to Abraham. And God calls Abraham. Remember I mentioned about the start of the Jewish nation and God calls Abraham and he says this to him. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Notice the contrast between the two chapters, and it's intentional, obviously. Moses has set it up that way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To see the difference between the ways of man, man's religion, and the gospel. The good news is that God comes down to us. You see that? God came to Abraham and found Abraham and said to Abraham, I will make your name great. God came to David and said, I will make your name great. The way of man is, I will make my name great. I will do it. I will do something that people remember me. I will achieve something. I will do these good works. Uh, I will give money. I will go to church. I will, um, whatever it is, so that I, people know me to be holy or good. It's about my reputation. Uh, remember, said to you before, uh, probably most of us battle more with, you know, we want other people to think we're holy more than actually being worried about how holy we really are. We think more of what others think of us. We want others to think highly of us. We want others to think that we are great than actually being holy before the Lord. And so the Lord says, David, I will make you great. It's not you that is going to do something for me. Look at verse 9. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. And then look at what the Lord says. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. Isn't that beautiful? David says, Lord, I want to build you a house. And the Lord says, no, David, I'll build you a house. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's a play on the word house here. House here means dynasty. It's not that the Lord's going to build him, you know, a bigger mansion. 
Uh, Hausia means a dynasty. I will build you a legacy. I will build you a dynasty, a house. And this is the Davidic covenant. That God will preserve the promise that God will preserve the line of David. Remember, God had made Saul king. Okay. Uh, it was not his, uh, you know, it was the king the people wanted, but God had still honored that and made Saul king, but he had cut the kingdom from him. And here the Lord says, David, I'm going to make you a house, a dynasty, that lasts forever, as we see. And so here, once again, we see the order. It is right for us to serve the Lord. Uh, it is, it is what, what we'll, you'll probably hear every week, that we are called to serve the Lord as his people. And there are a million ways that we can serve the Lord. There are ways here at church to serve the Lord. There are so many ministries, ways that you can serve the Lord. In, in your family, how you can serve the Lord as a child, as a parent, as a spouse, in your workspace, how you can serve the Lord as an employer or an employee, to serve the Lord in um, the way you conduct yourself, the way you speak, having integrity, um, th the way you serve the Lord at school or at university, the respect you show to your teachers and your fellow students, all of those things are applications in the Bible. But if you begin with your serving of the Lord, that's religion. If that's where you begin, as in a sense David is doing here, I'm not too hard on David because the scriptures aren't too hard on him, but it's, it's a helpful paradigm to get the story across. If you, if you begin with, I will now serve the Lord, I will do these things, and you haven't first soaked in the gospel and what God has done for you, well, you're going you're gonna to run out of energy. That's one thing. It's going to become a drain on you. You're going to become frustrated, irritable. Why do I have to do this every Sunday? <laughs> pack chairs. You pack chairs. <laughs> Why do I have to come time after time? Because you're not getting your energy from the gospel and what God has done. It's rooted in yourself. I will do these things. And it's the same in your relationships. Why must I keep be loving? Why must I keep doing this? Why must I keep being nice? Why must I keep uh, helping other people at school? Whatever it is, all of those things, you will become frustrated and irritable, or else you'll become proud, full of yourself, because you think, look how much I do for the kingdom. I'm always the first one here doing these things. Those other people, they don't come. Uh, I'm always at the prayer meetings. Those other people, they don't come. Look, you know, so you become full of yourself because you can do it. And hopefully you know that that's wrong. It's wrong to be proud. God resists the proud. God is against you in your pride. But he gives grace to the humble and so David, you see what the Lord is correcting here. David, it's not what you do for me. It's, yes, you can, the temple will be built. It is right to serve me. But you need to make sure the order is right. It's what I will do for you. And then out of that flows our obedience. That is the good news of the gospel. Every other religion will be what you must do. 
You must tick boxes. These are the things you must do. And if you can't tick those boxes, well, then you're not very good. You're not a very good person. If you can tick them, then you'll be full of pride. But the gospel comes and says, no, God has done something already in Christ. That's why we say it's good news. Okay? It's not good news for me to tell you, here's a list of things you must do. Okay? Number one would be, be perfect. Okay? <laughs> be perfect. You want to go to heaven? You want to be right with God? Be absolutely perfect. Sorry for you as well, because you haven't got that right yet, uh, and it can't be applied retroactively. Uh, so it's already too late for you. That's why we say it's the good news. It's what God has done in Christ already. He has already done it. And what he says to David here is verse 11, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And that's fulfilled in Solomon. And like most of the prophecies in the Bible, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. A near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Theologians uh, give us sort of a helpful paradigm, a helpful illustration. If you, uh, if you go to a mountain range, maybe you go to Drakensberg, and you look out, you can see all the different mountaintops. And you'll know that there are some that are closer than others and some that are further away. That's the idea. There is a near fulfillment, like the near mountaintop, and then there are far fulfillments within the same prophecy. Here's the near fulfillment. The, the son of David that God will raise up is Solomon. Okay. God raised up Solomon to be, to be king. Uh, David was told that he could not build the temple. He was not allowed to build it because he was a man of war. He had shed blood. But Solomon... He's a man of peace. There's no war during Solomon's reign. God gives him tremendous peace. Even his name uh, means peace. It's like shalom. Uh, and so he is able to build the temple. And so the, God promises he'll build a temple. Uh, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 12, he shall build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. The word forever is repeated several times. Look at verse 13 and 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. That's Saul. So Saul disobeyed God, and God cut him off. Okay. Uh, when you go and read the passage, passages carefully, you'll see that Saul was never a true believer, uh, never was truly converted. <coughs> Sorry. But the promise is, I will never do that to the house of David, to the line of David. I'll never, even if there's tremendous disobedience, I will never cut them off. And there is. You can go and read, and we will, in Chronicles and Kings, you will see that some of the kings from David are very, very bad. In fact, they go into exile, don't they, under the Babylonians. But God does not destroy the line of David. He makes a promise. I will keep that line forever. And when you see the word forever in a promise from God, it means forever. 
That's why we say all the promises find their fulfillment in Christ, because no human being, no mere mortal, can fulfill those promises forever. But the Lord Jesus Christ is a king forever. Jesus Christ is the true king, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. God's promise to bring a king, a righteous king, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Luke tells us in chapter 1, verse 31, uh, talking to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so this covenant is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the final son of David, David's greatest son, the true king, the ultimate king. Now, it might be hard for us to think in terms of a monarchy. Uh, You know, it's generally frowned upon monarchies because, you know, people are bad. And uh, when they have power, they do bad things ordinarily. Uh, But, you know, if you do have a good king, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, you can see even in, in, uh, you know, certain times in history, it's very, very rare. But when there is a good king or a benevolent dictator, they're able to do a lot of good uh, because there's no bureaucracy. They can just, you know, if there's corruption, off with your head. And uh, they sort things out quickly. Uh, of course, at this time when it's written, all they knew were monarchies. There was no such thing as democracy, uh, you know, except in Athens. But then it's not even a democracy as we know it. But uh, the, 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 the hope of a good king would have been glorious because a good king will not be corrupt. A good king will bring justice. A good king will bring safety and security. A good king will bring good laws and uphold those laws, protect his citizens, protect the people. And that is all fulfilled in Christ. And so let me encourage you to think not to just be negative about you know, monarchies, but to think how wonderful it is to have a king like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, he is your king. And he is not a cruel dictator. He is a servant king, a shepherd king, a king who laid down his life for you. No other king would do that. To die for the, the plebs, <laughs> to die for the, the citizens. But he did. He laid down his life for us, and he promises to keep his people. He will never lose any of them. He gives us good laws that are good for us. He cares for us. He provides us with a community of other believers to encourage one another. And he will give us a kingdom that will last forever, a new heaven and a new earth, where there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more trials, no more temptations, no more troubles. And so this promise given to David is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has built a house that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so salvation, the gospel always begins with God. What God has done. 
what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though we deserve judgment, though we deserve to be destroyed by this righteous king, he laid down his life for us, took upon himself our sins, and gave us the gift of eternal life. And so this is an incredible account that shows that we get to be included in God's plan. The Bible says that we are fellow laborers with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, we are like I was with my dad. Okay. Like a little kid, you know, not really much help at all, actually more of a burden, because <laughs> often I'd bring the wrong tool. Fetch the Phillips screwdriver, and then I bring the flathead screwdriver, or bring the, this spanner, and I bring the wrong size spanner. But you know what I knew? Is that even if I bring the wrong tools, it won't mess up the project because my dad will see it and he'll sort it out. Okay. I have the privilege of being involved, uh, included in something greater than me, more than I knew, better than me. I was not able to do it. Uh, we get to be included in God's plan of redemption. And he does not need us. Now, if that offends you, then you'll never come to Christ. Because a lot of people, they say, you know, God needs me, or I will only come because, you know, I have a lot to offer, or something like that. You're full of pride. And you, if you read the Bible, and you get a true understanding of who God is, He's not just us, but bigger. He is as one theologian said, totalite alite, totally other, okay? transcendent, infinite in every way. Uh, Pastor Lela and I have been discussing you know, the attributes of God and wrestling with certain things. And, and it's glorious because it's not as though you go to seminary and it's all figured out and now we've got it together. It's, it's you keep learning and the more you learn about God, and, and you really find you're on holy ground and your words have to be so measured how incredible this God is that we serve. How transcendent he is, how majestic he is, how beyond our human understanding he is. Why did he create everything? To glorify himself, but also to, to, to include others in the love and the joy that he has. That we get to be partakers of it. But it begins with him. It's always I from God. I made the universe. I created everything. I made you. I sent my son to die for you. I gave your, sent the spirit to change your heart from stone to flesh. I'm the one who will keep you. And then we get the privilege of serving him. But as an overflow of his love for us. It begins with him. Don't be full of pride. Humble yourself. You're not so great. You need a Savior. You're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. And the good news is that God has come in Christ to save us. And if you humble yourself, you'll be like, like me with my dad, just knowing something of the privilege of doing something with him and, and being included. If you come to him... The promise is he'll never cast you out. And then you begin to serve from that place of the gospel love. That you're loved by him more than you can even begin to imagine. When you doubt that love, because that happens all the time, 
We doubt his love, especially when things go wrong. Okay. We doubt his love, but the promise is, no, keep remembering the gospel, remembering Calvary, remembering what he went through for you. Do you think the Lord Jesus went through all of that just to forsake you at the first speed bump? No. And so fill your mind with the gospel, his love for you, that it began with him, that he had mercy upon me, that he has saved me, the good news of that he has saved me. And then, out of that, that's your tank, that's your petrol tank, we put it that way. Out of that, you now serve the Lord. That will enable you to serve with joy. That will enable you to be a cheerful giver. Not stingy and frustrated and like, okay. <laughs> but cheerful and joy because you're, where, the, 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 the fuel, what's sustaining you is that he loved you first. That he came down to you and said, I will make your name great. And you know what? That if you're a Christian, all of us become royalty. It's not just King David. You know, we can call each other king and queen, I guess. I don't do this. but uh, <laughs> I know someone's going to come afterwards. It's probably Ricardo or something. <laughs> but we are a royal priesthood. Okay. We, we, we are co-heirs on such a level. It's incredible. You're not God. Don't get it's small Ks and small Qs. It's, don't, don't misunderstand. But we, be, we, we are part of, of the family of God, and he is royalty. We're included in that, and we get to serve him. But always make sure it be, you remember it began with him. He started this. He initiated it. He will bring it to completion. We just have the privilege of sometimes bringing the right screwdriver every now and then. And at the end, we say, well, the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for this this passage um, we can really empathize with David uh, sometimes we we think we want to help you Lord um, we think it might even be from a pure heart we, we want to maybe feel a bit sorry for you oh Lord help us never to to think like that help us to always remember you don't need us you are not a God to be pitied you are a glorious, majestic God, infinite in every way, transcendent and yet imminent. You made us. You have created this plan of redemption from before the, before the ages. What a privilege that we get to be included. Help your children, please, to live out of the gospel, not out of our own abilities, not out of our own cleverness or our own strength, but always out of the gospel, out of the fact that we are loved and forgiven and cherished and we have a hope. So please help us to do that, Lord. If there are any here who don't know you, Father, who are offended by this message, who, who, who want a message that glorifies them, that, that they feel needed, that they feel central, oh, Father, please humble them. May they see this and and then rejoice in the good news of the gospel. 
And so we ask that in every way and in every heart here and every mind and every person watching that you would work by your spirit and glorify yourself. In your name we pray. Amen.